Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, if you're not really careful, that sounds a bit like a blank check, doesn't it? You know, I would like to have no more sickness, desire of my heart. I'd like a mate, desire of my heart. I, I, I'm not me. I'm, 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 I'm fine. I, I've got one. I'm just saying people, people. Sure, are we clear on that? Okay, all right, all right. I would like a promotion. I'd like to get into that particular college. And on and on and on and on. So at one level, you can look at this first. You can say, this is kind of cool. I do the God thing and he gives me what I want. And what I want to help you recognize today, it's not what this passage is saying at all. Uh, what we want to do is we want to go back and kind of look at the whole chapter. And then we want to take that gem of a verse and see it in light of the whole chapter. And within its context, it is a great, it's, it's a wonderful verse. So let's again look to the Lord in prayer before we look at Psalm 37. Father, we thank you so much for our worship time already today. Uh, just the great joy it is for creatures to actually be able to praise the Creator God. And Lord, for what you've done for us in the person of your Son, who has saved us, those of us that have trusted in Him, and is one day coming back for us. We are people of great hope. So guide us now, Lord, as we look at this text. We pray that you will use it to draw us closer to yourself. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Does your heart ever cry out because of the wickedness you see in the world around us? I mean, I, I, I don't know what some of those dear people are possibly going through in Syria right now. But it's a place of wickedness, isn't it? You look around the globe of people for no good reason who are being oppressed. You look at brothers and sisters in Christ around the globe who are specifically being attacked for one reason. Because they love Christ and follow Him. Does your heart cry out when you see that stuff sometimes? I mean, I look around and I just say, Lord, take it away. I hate to see all this wickedness around. We find it here at home too, don't we? In our nation. Sometimes policies that are made. Any nation that would say it's okay to kill a baby, that's wicked. And we go, we go away one thing after another. And, and don't you just say, stop. And then you look at your own personal life. And you see the kind of abuses that happened because of extended family members. Perhaps at work, you don't get the promotion because you know Christ, the other guy does, or the other gal does. And sometimes it just doesn't make sense. If you, if you ever had those feelings, then you kind of know what David's feeling when you come to Psalm 37. Because when you, the, the, the situation that David is talking about, David who is known through his life what it means to try to be doing the right thing and experiencing wickedness and oppression and opposition. That's David. 
He knows much of what that's about. And that's what we find in this passage. David looks around and he sees wickedness. And wickedness manifests itself in a whole bunch of ways. Notice for just a second, if you would, in verse 12 of Psalm 37, the Bible says this, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. Now look, you can mark it down. If somebody's gnashing their teeth at you, they're pretty upset. You know, one of those things. It's, it's, it's graphic. It just means, you know, it's not at all unusual for people just to, who are wicked not to like believers. Look at verse 14. Same, same chapter. The wicked draws the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose way is upright. What it means is, we live in a world where there's people who care about one person themselves. And if they have to take advantage of the poor and needy, they don't care. And if they have to take down a Christian, they don't care. And David says, I look around at a world that is filled with wicked people. And he said, you know what makes it even worse? It seems like they're doing all right, and I'm not. Look at verse, uh, verse 35, the chapter. David says this. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. He says, look, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I've seen people who seem to be able to do whatever they want and they're like te the Teflon kid. You know, no, nothing attacks them legally. They just keep spreading and growing and doing so well. And, and elsewhere in this passage, he says, you know, there's times when the wicked seem prosperous and all the righteous have is just barely enough food to make it for the next meal. David says, I don't understand that. You find wicked people who are abusive, prosperous, hoarding. You got, poor, you got righteous people who are giving generously in this passage. And all the wicked do is just hoard and hold things to themselves. And David says, that kind of world doesn't make sense to me. Have you ever thought that way? Now, how do you respond to that? David's concerned. Because David knows our tendencies. David knows his tendencies. So he says several things. Starts, the psalm starts out by saying, fret not yourself because of evildoers. That particular term, fret not, is used three times in the psalm. In verse 1, in verse 7, and again in verse 8. Fret not yourself. And, I don't know, growing up from time to time, my mom used to say to me, Doug, don't fret about that. I kind of just kind of felt that meant, like, don't worry about it. And that, that's true. It's part worry. But, but it's even more than that. The word fret often has the idea of it's an internal agitation. I mean, if you could kind of open up my soul, man, I don't like this at all, and it doesn't make sense, and I want it to stop. And David says three times in this psalm, listen, when you look around at a world filled with people who are prosperous, who are using others, you're going to have a tendency, and one of the things you're going to do is have this kind of internal agitation. Like, God, why are you allowing this? Stop it, Lord. Did you ever feel like that? 
If you do, or have, <coughs> you're right where David is. If you, yeah, interestingly enough, notice what else he says there in verse 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Isn't that interesting? When you find people out there who are rich and prosperous and happy and wicked and doing their own thing, on the one hand, I get upset because God, do something. But there's another part of me that says, that looks kind of attractive. Isn't that strange? But isn't it true? Look at your own heart. Isn't there times when you look around, you're a college student. You're on the college campus. You're trying to be a good Christian testimony. They do all kinds of things and you're not supposed to. Don't you ever get envious? A little bit. Sure you do. You're right where David is. There can be an internal agitation that says, I don't like this, it troubles me, it hurts me, it worries me. Huh. I wonder about all that. Same person can have both feelings. Fret not yourself, David says. Don't envy. And then he says something else. Look at verse 8. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. And David says this. You know what happens? When it bugs me inside, if I'm not very, very careful, I become angry. Angry at who? Oh, it could be angry at them. But who do we ultimately get angry at? God. David knows the soul. He's been there on the backside of a desert trying to live, his, try to just survive with Saul trying to chase him around and kill him. And David knows there's times you fret and there's times you even get angry at God saying, what is wrong with you, God? We feel that way. And other parts of us say, but I wish I could be like that person. It's, 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 it's the struggle of the soul. And David says, when you have those feelings in a world of wickedness, don't be surprised. Doesn't make it right, but don't be surprised. And then David turns and says, don't fret, don't be angry, don't envy. David says, let me give you another strategy. It's one that I have found is the better path. And it's filled with a whole series of imperatives. I want to just look at those that you find in verses 3 to 7, which has our key verse in it. Look at what the text says in verse 3 of Psalm 37. You can get angry with God, but there's another option. Here it is in verse, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. I, I can be angry. I can be agitated. I can envy. That's one option. The other one, he says, I can be faithful to him and trust in him. Okay? All right? What else, David? And our verse. Oh, the verse goes on to say, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. What an interesting statement. You know what he says? You know who your best friend should be? Faithfulness to God. I mean, that's, that's, that's where I want to hang out, you know. Befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, 
And He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. And He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord. And wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way. Over the man who carries out evil devices. David says, I know the world is unfair. I know the world is filled with with people that are about themselves. We are too often. And they hurt each other. But in the midst of all that, what you need to do is, is rest in Him. Commit yourself to Him. Wait. Isn't that hard? Wait for Him to act. Rather than get angry, wait for Him to act and just delight yourself in Him. And then He gives us a whole series of promises, doesn't He? And one of the ones that you find repeated throughout this psalm is if you delight yourself in God, if you trust in Him, if you commit your way to Him, if you all that stuff, the stuff, if you're God-centered, that's the point. The promises are, for the Jew, repeatedly in this psalm is, you will inherit the land. And if you're wicked, you're going to be cut off. God does that a variety of ways. But in his time and in his way, he says, done. But for his people, he says, you will inherit the land. Now, I have a little bit of a problem with that. How do you... um, How do you mesh that with the fact that many righteous, wonderful people have been abused, used, and many martyred for their faith down through the centuries? Hey, doesn't the psalm seem to promise? Look, if you just delight in God and wait on Him, He'll do what's best for you. He'll come through. He'll give you the land. And then I look at Israel's history and I find a lot of faithful people and they're dead. They're killed. It's over. So what does this mean? Do you see the problem? You know, Job, this, this, uh, this expression, delight yourself in the Lord, it's found just a couple times in the, in the Old Testament. Here is Job sitting in an ash heap with sores covering his whole body. All his possessions are gone. His children are all dead. And you've got his counselors looking at him saying, Job, if you would just delight in the Lord, He would bless you. Same word. Wasn't Job already delighting in the Lord? He was. And he's sitting in an ash heap. In pain. Emotionally. Physically. In every way imaginable, folks. It just doesn't make sense. Inherit the land. They went into exile. Even the people that were faithful, Jeremiah, Daniel, all these guys, they went too. They didn't inherit the land. Is God promising too much? Is He just trying to make us feel good? Hey, just do the right thing and I'll bless you. Even though I won't. 
you ever feel that way? Do you ever wonder about that? But God is not a liar, is he? How do we put it together? There is a, a really interesting passage that I'd like you to turn to over in Matthew chapter 5. Actually, the worship group already gave this away, but I'll say it again anyway. So, but over in Matthew chapter 5, Remember I told you in Psalm 37, four times, the promise is you will inherit the land. Four times. When you come to what we call the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, I want you to look at verse 5. It's taken right out of Psalm 37. Blessed are the meek, for that they shall inherit the earth. It's right out of Psalm 37. Can I make an argument for you folks? Because the delight language of Psalm 37 is picked up again in the prophets in Isaiah. And Isaiah again says to the people, delight in God and someday in the future, He'll turn this whole thing. You'll inherit the land. And Jesus steps on the scene. And he says, blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know what we find, folks? At the end of the day, the only way these promises can ever be fulfilled is because of Jesus. He is the one through whom God will ultimately bless all people that trust in him. Isn't that what we believe? And, and, and here's the thing. I, sometimes, you know, I, I don't watch it much anymore. Once in a while, I'd flip on the TV. Some of these radio or television evangelists, they'd get on and they'd say, you know, send me a cloth and God will give you whatever you want. And, 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 and they just make all these kind of promises to people. And what they do is people listening to that think, well, if I don't get that from God, then Christianity must be a hoax. Isn't that what they think? And these guys are teaching falsehood, plain and simple. Plain and simple. Because God makes his promises, folks, always in light of Jesus, who is the fulfillment of everything. And the only way people will ever experience the ultimate full blessings that can come are through Jesus. Now, does that mean we as Christians get everything we want today? No. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, little flock, don't you know that the Father wants to give you good things? He will give you the fullness of his kingdom one day. Just stay faithful to him now. What you will experience then is beyond imagination. Now, does God in his grace and his mercy give us partial foretastes of what is to come now? Yeah, he does. He does. He gives us a community of faith, a church, to experience meaningful relationships. He does. He gives us mates and he gives us families. He gives us all kinds of wonderful gifts. But anything we experience in this life now, folks, is merely a foretaste of what is to come. 
And it's all bound up in Jesus and in the cross and in the resurrection and the fact that He intercedes for us and one day He's coming back. All those blessings are bound up in Christ. So when I read something like, delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. He will ultimately. He does in this life sometimes partially. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Are you fully filled now? Now, do you have a foretaste? Have you found His presence to be sweet in the most desperate times of your soul? Yes, 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 there's a foretaste. But the fullness awaits what's coming for us in the future, folks. And so, this verse, delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. It's, it's not about, man, I, I really like to get married. I'd really like a promotion. I'd like a new car. I'd like... It just doesn't work that way, does it? What it means is this. If you and I lose ourselves in Him, we can trust Him for what He's doing now because He's given us the greatest of all gifts. He's given us His Son. So we can, we can delight ourselves in a God who is for us in the person of Jesus Christ. We can delight in Him. We can be obsessed with Him. We can rest in Him. We can wait on Him, even though we don't always understand His timetable or what He's doing and why He's doing it. It's all true. It's all true. But we can delight in Him. And we know those inner desires of the heart, which are to experience all of His intentions for humanity in us. One day we'll have. One day they will be ours. But for now... In a world of wickedness and evil, in which we cry out for God to act, we can rest in Him. And we can wait. And we can delight. We can know He will do all things well because we have a foretaste. We've seen it in His Son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? That's why we are Christians. means... I mean, the, the, the term is, it's all about being a Christ follower. We are Jesus people, aren't we? We are. Because all of our lives are taken up with Him. And so, we know more than David knew in Psalm 37. He was right, you can delight in the Lord. We really know you can delight in the Lord. Because we've seen Jesus. We've accepted Him. We know where the whole thing is going. Who better to delight in the Lord knowing that one day you will receive the desires of your heart than us as Christians. Father.